Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Espionage and Enslavement in the Revolution, the true story of Robert Townsend and Elizabeth, by Claire Bellergeau and Tiffany Yecky Brooks. Forward by the inimitable Miss Vanessa Williams. In January 1785, a young African-American woman named Elizabeth, or Liss, was put on board the Lucretia in New York Harbor, bound for Charleston, where she'd be sold for the fifth time. With little hope of ever seeing the small child she left behind, Elizabeth now faced the unfamiliar reality of being a slave in the South. How could she know that Robert Townsend, a son of the family she was enslaved by, would locate her, safeguard her child, and return her to New York? Or how her story would help turn one of America's first spies into an abolitionist. Townsend is best known as one of George Washington's most trusted spies, but few know about how he worked in slavery. Discover, as their story unfolds, how prominent historical figures crossed their paths, including Benjamin Franklin, Alexander Hamilton, Benedict Arnold, John Adams, and many more. Learn more about this new American founding figure Espionage and Enslavement in the Revolution. Available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. Hey everybody, welcome to Big Blend Radio's Way Back When show. Today we're excited to welcome Claire Bellergeau and Tiffany Yecky Brooks. They are the co-authors of the book, Espionage and Enslavement in the Revolution, the true story of Robert Townsend and Elizabeth, um, this is about spying and slavery during the Revolutionary War. How often do you hear about slavery in those times? We always think about the Civil War, but this goes way back when, and this is quite a story. The book is out now through Lions Press. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on, I think it's Barnes & Noble, uh, but you can also get a signed copy. You go right to the website. It's espionageandslavement.com. So let's welcome Claire on first. Welcome. How are you? Hi, it's great to be with you today. Thank you. You too. You too. And welcome, Tiffany. How are you doing? Hello, I'm doing very well. Thank you for having us. Hey, so listen, how oh. many books do you have behind you there? Since, you know, for all those watching, <laughs> yeah. you see that she's like in the library. Countless. I am um, a former liter literature professor turned full-time writer. So this wow. is... And that's not even all of it. <laughs> oh, we wow. love it. We love it. We love it. Cool. So Claire, how did you meet Tiffany? We actually met when she was helping to write and research a New York Times bestselling book called George Washington's Secret Six, which is about the culprit spy ring in the Revolutionary War. Oh, this makes sense because oh. that connects right back, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Because you think, uh, yeah, so this, so I want everyone to know where you are too, because you're also a director of education and a special place, which also connects back to uh, the story that you're going to talk about, Robert Townsend, because Robert Townsend was the spy for George Washington, right, ladies? Yep, he, he was, was the lead spy in New York City. So there was a spy in New York City, which was British headquarters in America. And then there was a second spy way out in Suffolk County in a town called Setauket. And so those two spies, huh. Culper Jr. and Culper Sr., were the anchors of this Culper spy ring. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay, wow. and so now you're at, is it the Raynham Hall Museum? Raynham Hall it? Museum, that's okay. the birthplace of both Robert and of Elizabeth or Liz. So I get oh. to go to work at, at a house where they both were born and raised. Mm -hmm. oh, so is wow. that what got you connected to their story? Uh, well, yes, I was working there and um, documents about Elizabeth uh, came into my hands. That was 16 mm -hmm. years ago. And my life changed forever because uh, I could never forget about her. I had to keep yeah. finding out more. Well, I think that's, that's one awesome. of the things. Oh, go, sorry. Go ahead. go ahead. I was gonna say I think that's one of the things to me anyway that that makes this book so exciting is that 
the research that Claire did is entirely unique. It, it is all original and it's all with um, primary documents. You know, she wow. is the person who discovered Lissa's identity. She is the person who wow. connected all these dots and was able to, to find and trace the story. And so this is not something that's you know, put together through secondhand sources or anything else. I mean, Claire was in, in the archives with these original letters tracking down, um, you know, these ain't very- She's, she's a sleuth. I mean, I know it's yes. a lot of spies, but like, I mean, she's kind of the investigator too. <laughs> like you're the private and guest investigator, but I mean, this is something you geek out. I mean, how many two, three in the mornings uh, did you find yourself still mm. stuck at the computer putting <laughs> their pieces together? Well, we're both pretty obsessed, right, Tiffany? Yes. <laughs> we're not Absolutely. the kind of people that can just let things go. We just have to keep mm -hmm. digging and digging. <laughs> and, and you wrote this as creative nonfiction, which is something we're reading more, well, reading more and more of and seeing more as a popular form of telling history's stories because it's, it's educating and putting people in that place and having that atmosphere. Is that why you chose to write it that way? Yeah, we really, yeah, go ahead, Tiffany. I'm yeah. oh, sorry. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I think for a long time, nonfiction sort of got lumped in with textbooks. And so a lot of people have this view that nonfiction has to be told in this very dry, um, like linear timeline mm. way. And what creative nonfiction is really doing as its own sort of emerging genre is taking, I mean, it's still, of course, nonfiction, but it is painting the world for the reader. It's making it read like a novel um, right. so that you get a sense of, you know, not just the straight linear facts, but sort of the, the thematic arcs that are mm -hmm. controlling, you know, different aspects of the narrative and some of these side stories and the way things feed into each other. And you get to know the thoughts and feelings of the characters rather than just sort of dry, um, almost you know december 16th we well, threw the tea overboard was a six or 16th we threw the tea overboard that would yeah. be well that's kind of exciting for me but <laughs> but no but it's personal that you can yeah. relate now i mean because history when i in high school i thought history was the most boring thing ever invented mm -hmm. you know and and now now with historic novels and novels like yours i love the non-fiction the creative non-fiction because now I know that I'm getting the facts, but it's a story and I'm going to remember it. You know, that's really why I difference. needed a writer like Tiffany, because I had done all this research and I had all these red threads connecting all these facts and these documents, yeah. but I needed the help of a great writer to, to bring it out in a way that the readers could enjoy mm -hmm. and yeah. how to make those uh, chapters begin and end in a crafted way. Mm. And, um, nice. you know, so I was just so, so lucky to get a co-author like Tiffany that could do that. Well, Nancy's been reading it and she's oh, like, well, this is really book. well done. This is awesome. Yeah. In fact, is I awesome. really want it to be a TV series. <laughs> Me too. I, I really think yeah. it needs to be a series because the yeah. story is just too big for a movie. It's really That's got what, exactly. three seasons in it the way I see it. Yeah. 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 Well, let, wow. let's start with Liz. Talk, like, let's start with her life because it's really and this is something we've seen as we travel and go to different museums or even slave homes, right? Um, is their story and how re-enslavement happens. Cause that's often not told is the re-enslavement, but let's, I mean, her history goes way back. I mean, we're in the 1600s, right? So it's not like this, I mean, we well, think the, about the, slavery the, now, we think it's like now, like, <laughs> you know. The land where she was born, the physical space, was also the space that was occupied by Long Island's first slave freed that we have a record of. Wow. So the, the very ground where she ran around as a child who was enslaved was the land where a man named Tom Gall labored. Mm -hmm. He was enslaved as a teenager in 1673. And when he was finally freed in 1685, that's the earliest known slave freed on Long Island and right in the same space where Liz was born and where she lived. Wow. You know, it's incredible when you think that a person can, back then, could actually be born as a slave, into slavery, mm -hmm. with absolutely no choice or, I mean, there it is, you're gonna be a slave and too bad for you. 
A lot of people think that slavery happened exclusively when people were uh, brought on ships from Africa mm -hmm. to America. And although that did account for some of the ways in which people were enslaved, just being born mm -hmm. was a big way that people became enslaved. Mm -hmm. If you were a woman and you had a child, your enslaver owned your child at birth. Mm -hmm. And so in New wow. York, we had such a high proportion of slavery just because of mathematical permutation. Um, wow. A lot of slavery began very early in New York as they wanted to make money. It was a capitalistic, uh, business-driven place in New and Amsterdam. They and also looked at as livestock, grew, right? Weren't they counted as livestock at, at some point property. in history? Or is it like, or property? My, Enslavement like, literally means to be the property of another person without right. uh, free will or independent rights. Yeah. And so that was the case for everyone who was enslaved. They were the property of others. Wow. wow. So who were her parents? Do you know? We don't know. Wow. Wow. We don't know who her mm. parents were. It's wild because we went to um, a replica of the house that Solomon Northrop um, North built. Rip. Northrop, mm -hmm. excuse me. Yes. Yeah. And it's in, on the University of Ale uh, LSU in Alexandria, Louisiana. And parts of it are in there what's left of it but he was actually kidnapped mm -hmm. i mean and so the contractor that worked with him you know released him and everything got him out but so he was freed and then kidnapped mm -hmm. so uh, did you do you see that kind of thing happen in long because i think he's you want to talk about captain tinker or should i because <laughs> <laughs> doesn't his history actually goes back to new york so i'm like okay mm -hmm. well part of what i discovered in lissa's history was that very thing was happening now, the story of 12 Years a Slave happens in the era of the Civil War, but that exact circumstance of kidnapping free Blacks in New York and selling them in the South happened during the time right after the Revolutionary War wow. in New York. And the villainous man who did this in our story has a very creepy name, right? His name was Captain Tinker, and he mm. was well known for kidnapping free Blacks in New York City and bringing them to Charleston to be re-enslaved. Now, he actually transported Liss in his ship mm -hmm. down to Charleston, but she wasn't mm -hmm. re-enslaved. She wasn't kidnapped. She was still a slave at that time. Mm -hmm. So she was shipped as property. But One alongside her. her voyage, he was going back and forth and kidnapping free Blacks. And, and uh, something that Claire agree. found that's so interesting tying into that is that there were anonymous letters sent to newspapers mm -hmm. under the pen name that Benjamin Franklin used mm -hmm. when writing oh. the novelist that was warning African-Americans in the city saying, you know, the notorious Captain Tinker is known to be here, has a ship, wow. will be, be careful. I mean, so it's, it's so real. You see that, that that's a very real fear and anxiety that people would have had knowing that there was this, this, kidnapper on the loose basically and um, these ads are heartbreaking the words yeah. that are used you know mm. don't become a victim of this man as so many others have and we've Chilling. heard out in the harbor people crying out in the night to be helped who have been kidnapped and the boat is leaving now i mean it's wow. so chilling to think of it wow wow and you always mm. think you know when you look at look again going slavery you always think of the civil war time and you always looked at new york mm -hmm. as being well then there's the irish too that also you had they were slaves that is from what i've heard too but i always you just always looked at new york being we're the ones who are releasing everybody and doing all you know so this is like a new thing for us to all kind mm -hmm. of remember and history and go back to but i don't know there, how many there was stores more slavery are in new york than any other northern colony wow. during the time wow. of the revolution New York had more slavery in 1770 than all of the New England colonies combined. Wow. And more in 1770 wow. than Georgia. Wow. 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 And so a lot of this connects over Oyster Bay, where you are, right? And well, that's the birthplace of both Robert and Liz. Okay. And so slavery mm -hmm. wasn't exclusive to Oyster Bay. That was just another town of many. But it's the one where our story takes place and where I've done my research. It sounds like a vacation spot. You know, it does. <laughs> here's this other story. You're like, I don't know. You know, <laughs> let's go. Let's go to Oyster Bay. There's <laughs> a lot of history there. That's where Theodore Roosevelt lived with his summer house, summer White House when he was president. And it oh. has a lot of great stories to tell. But Liz is now one of them. Wow. Hmm. 
So she, one thing that came apparent from what Nancy's telling me and, and through what I've read is that she was pretty strong. Like she didn't kind of let things happen. She kind of really moved her life forward um, the way she wanted as best she could. One of the things that's so interesting about the story to me is how much agency we see that she takes as much as she was limited in terms of her time and her place and her legal rights. Um, she makes decisions that sometimes even seem confusing. You know, they, they, you look at them and you think, well, that may not have been the choice I would have made in the circumstances. Um, but you see that she's a woman who knew her mind and she had her reasons for doing things and she made choices that asserted her own personhood in a way that's really, um, it's moving actually, because mm -hmm. so often the, the, these characters, as we discussed with nonfiction stories seem sort of flat, um, you mm -hmm. know, or they could seem like they're just a series of facts. And here we see a very dynamic, real woman who's engaging with life on her own terms. Mm. Um, and maybe. And in both cases, more. they make decisions that are as the reader, you're so afraid for them. And, and you're wondering how it's gonna turn out and what decision you would have made. Yeah. And then with the case of Robert, his great regrets, we really see as he becomes an older person, he did not um, succeed as much as he would have liked to in making um, the legal change uh, for enslaved people. His group mm. failed in many ways, couldn't mm. get the votes to end slavery which mm -hmm. didn't end in New York till 1827. Wow. So, I mean, we're looking at centuries happening in between what happened. Lifetimes. But, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. let's, let's talk about Robert Townsend and how he connected with Liz. And because it, this was, it's interesting because she kind of, I think, was it their relationship that kind of got him to understand like people versus property? You know, he came from a family that enslaved at least 20 African-Americans. His father grew up in a household that enslaved people. So this was deeply embedded in the culture of where they were from. Mm. But of his family of 10 people, he is the only one that seems to have joined an anti-slavery movement and mm. when he was around 30. And so right after the end of the Revolutionary War, he joined the New York Manumission Society, mm -hmm. which was founded by John Jay, had Alexander Hamilton as one of its main members, and even another spy, Hercules Mulligan, was a member of that New York Manumission Society. And their mission was to end slavery by law, but they could not That's get awesome. the votes to do it. Wow. it you know, it's, it's interesting because I think that the slave owners themselves really were convinced that, that these human beings were property and they helped them make a profit. So if you were going to um, end slavery, then their own livelihood would be at risk. It was deeply embedded in the economy of the world. And yeah. in many ways, it was hard to uh, end it. And it, somebody was going to feel economic pain, you know? Yeah, exactly. They even came up with a crazy idea when uh, the abolition of slavery in New York was actually set into motion. It was 1799. It wouldn't actually kick in for another 28 years. And that 28 oh. years is the gradual in gradual abolition. But they... Wow. Uh, they made a little concession to enslavers in 1799. And it's so weird to talk about, but it was called the abandonment law. Here's how it went. If you enslaved a baby, if you legally abandoned that baby before its first birthday, you would get a little monetary kickback for every baby that you would legally abandon. And so wow. we have these records where it says, Jesse abandoned, um, manly abandoned, Wow. you know, Teresa wow. abandoned. And then those slave owners were getting little bits of money and the, the babies were still with their mothers. It was a legal status. But wow. so many New Yorkers did this that the government couldn't afford to keep it up and they ended that abandonment law in 1804. So it persisted for five years only. But wow. it just goes to show you the legal uh, difficulties, the things we don't think about now and the concessions. Mm -hmm. Well, I just, wow. to me, I think it's important now for everyone to hear these stories, you know, because mm -hmm. we do repeat history if we don't know any better. And mm -hmm. I think that's what's so important about writing the way you have and telling her story and, and his story. You know, Tiffany, can you tell us a little bit about the connection between the list and Robert Townsend? I mean, how their communication was and 
just what their relationship was like. Sure. Well, Claire would Claire will would actually be the better person to answer this because uh, she. Can, I'm, I'm uh, happy to jump in. You know, totally. uh, Robert was like 10 years old when she was born, so he literally watched her grow up. But when he was in his late teens, he left Oyster Bay, which was more like the country, to go live in Lower Manhattan and to be an apprentice at an auction house that sold mostly general merchandise, but occasionally nine-year-old girls, 10-year-old boys, 11-year-old, 12-year-olds sold away from their families into slavery, never to be seen again by their mother and father, who would not even know where their mm. children were. And we don't know the extent to which that moved him towards his feelings of sympathy and his feelings against slavery, but it's a significant thing that did happen to him. Um, of course, Liz was enslaved back in Oyster Bay, but when the British took over Long Island in the fall of 1776, British regiments started living in their town and the commanders billeting in their house. And so... All the enslaved people, just like the Townsends, were stuck behind enemy lines. And so Robert oh. began his work as a spy in Manhattan, living and working in a place called Hanover Square. And meantime, back in his family's home, people like Liss were serving not just the family, but all these British that had come to live in the house at the same mm -hmm. time. Now, coincidentally, one of those commanders was himself an early abolitionist a commander named John Graves Simcoe, mm -hmm. who commanded a British regiment called the Queen's Rangers. And he no doubt spoke with Liss and made her aware of his abolitionist beliefs and told her that the British were about to start offering slaves freedom if they would escape their American enslavers and come over to the British side. Ooh. I just want to add here that the reason we know that they were, that they would have spoken is that when the Queen's Rangers wintered in Oyster Bay, Simcoe actually stayed in the Townsend's home. Mm -hmm. So he actually billeted in their home, lived with the family and the enslaved people who were there. So it's not, it's not speculation to think that they could have run into each other in town. You know, I mean, she was making his bed and, and preparing his breakfast. And mm -hmm. there they were these very, very close quarters where they lived for, for six months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And so we Even actually have documented evidence said... of Robert writing to his father when oh. Liss escaped with Simcoe. When he and the regiment left Oyster Bay, she left with them. Now, okay, and... so she thought the British will take her over. So, like, here's all these spies. Would she spy on the Americans for the British? That's one of the things that we put out there as a possibility. We can't ever prove it, but it is definitely Yet. plausible. <laughs> You never know. You never we know. actually lay out, we try to be very careful in the book in the places where there are historical gaps in documentation. Um, we try to be careful not to state definitively, you know, this is what we think happened because it makes the most interesting narrative. We try to lay out possibilities mm. based mm -hmm. on what we do know. And so that is actually a place where we lay out, you know, three different possibilities of what may have happened with her escape. Um, but one of the things that's so interesting about that is after she escapes with the British, um, at the same time that Robert starts getting information, kind of better information from someone well-placed in the city, Liss suddenly starts appearing in his logbooks in his store. Now, why would a person mm -hmm. who ran away from their enslaver suddenly sh start showing up at the family store months right. later? Mm -hmm. Wow. Very and, and that's also right about the same time that the mm -hmm. other spy, the one that was out in Setauket, mentions in a, a letter about a woman who's helping the spy ring. And he uses the number 355, which mm -hmm. in their code meant lady. And he says, this is a lady of my acquaintance, not a lady he's known his whole life, but somebody who he's acquainted with now. And she has some special ability. She will, in his words, outwit them all. When you're outwitting someone, you're using mm. some sort of special ability to be clever. And what better way to outwit than to be virtually invisible, as enslaved people would have been, not even mm. considered real people, but just property. And so if Liz was in the city with a new British master and Robert is in the city uh, developing his spy network, it does make sense and it's plausible that she could have taken part in that way.
And we do, again, like we said, we do see her name showing up in the logbook of his store. So we know that they were in contact during that time. And then at the end of the war, she knew where he was. He had changed the location of his shop mid-war, literally to hide from Benedict Arnold, who had come to Manhattan rounding up spies. So he moved his shop to Peck Slip over by South Street Seaport. And in 1782, she knew where he was and she came to him for help. So they were not living lives distant from one another. They were right. intertwined throughout the war. Hmm. Wow. I want to, you know, when you think about all that kind of communication, here we are now with text messaging and, you know, hmm. Facebook chats. And, you know, yeah, just, a lot easier. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, you post on Instagram and I'm located here. This is where I am. I'm checking in here. You, you know, the check-in could get you in trouble. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's interesting when you think when you're digging through this and reading their letters, I mean, the language is even different. I mean, to understand their, mm. their writing to each mm. other. And is there emotion in their writing in the letters that you read? Well, some of the things he says about Liz are amazing in the letters when he's saving her from being sold south to Charleston. He requests that warm clothes be bought for her for, mm. for the traveling back up north in case she doesn't have warm clothes. He describes her only fault as being too fond of company. Her only fault is too fond of the British officers, you know? And um, That's they're really interesting words. He really mm-hmm. does speak about her in an interesting way. Mm. Huh. And now writing this, Tiffany, and, and putting this flow together, right? To get it all, because there's obviously tons you know, of information to get this to flow. Did you get her to create her character because of the creative fiction part, right? I created nonfiction, excuse me, to get her character. Do you just kind of like build her like you would if you're writing a novel? You know, how do you get to that part of this is what she is? Or are you reading her letters or? I love the playoffs. Anything can happen. But the best part, it's like bonus football. And bonus football means betting bonuses with Gambit DC. For a limited time, get up to a 57% multi-sport parlay boost on the Gambit DC app, online, or at any Gambit DC retail location throughout the district. It's the most exciting time to be a fan. So make your play and get the whole field advantage with Gambit DC. Limited time offer, terms and conditions apply. Please buy responsibly. Well, we wanted to be extremely sensitive, first of all, because we don't want to put our own thoughts and words and ideas in her head um, as um, 21st century women, um, as white women, you know, we, we th- there were a lot of sensitivities that we wanted to be aware of that we did not want to impose our ideas on her. And so that's what I was saying earlier. Sometimes you you read things and you're like, gosh, what would I have done in those, you know, in those circumstances? Mm-hmm. Is that the choice I would have made? So we didn't want to, we didn't want to read ourselves onto her. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But there are some aspects of her that that, that you, we felt we could safely speak to, such as being a mother mm-hmm. and a mother who is being forcibly separated from her child. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I think that that's mm-hmm. got that's some universal emotions there. So, yeah. um, you know, you mentioned her, her letters. Well, unfortunately, we actually don't have any letters from Liz directly um, because we don't know if she could read or write. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that, that was not a skill that was, very often right. um, extended to uh, people of, of you mm-hmm. know, African-American heritage. And so um, what we have from her is all secondhand. We're reading her sort of through the lens of Robert mm-hmm. or uh, his brother um, or the, you know, these other people who come into her life. So that was one of the real challenges with Liz was how to make her a real person on her own, you know, a kind of, a, on her own rather than mm-hmm. through the lens of these other people and yet also trying not to craft her in our own image um, see why i needed tiffany <laughs> yeah yeah um well, so, i could yeah it could be difficult because i mean you could have a television mind or or you know with today's things that you see on television she could be like james bond only female but she's not you know, no, there will be a world of her movies. There will be a world of her series. There will be her Broadway musical. I know these things will happen. I feel it in my mm. heart. And oh, good. she deserves all those things. 
But what Tiffany and I wanted to do was to lay a solid factual foundation. Mm, so cool. Our book could always be the starting place and where yeah, people right. could always find the truth. And then as her story is layered, embellished, mm -hmm. crafted by others, which will happen, it, it will be with America forever now. We want to always be the bedrock, you know? Mm -hmm. I think do, that's we didn't do or say so anything important. that was incorrect. I think mm -hmm. it's so important. And I think there's more of these stories out there, you know, that oh, of course. And just even going back to the Revolutionary War in that time frame, I mean, again, just you're shedding light on how long slavery has been happening in this country. Yeah. That's really about, huge to understand. Well, slavery was part of America. Slavery has been part of American history longer than it has not been part of American history. It was mm -hmm. legal longer than it has been Ill illegal, which is deeply sobering to consider. It is. Because it's, it's very easy to think mm -hmm. of it as um, sort of almost a, a bit of a blip of, oh, it's this thing that happened around the Civil War and then there was a Civil War and everything was better. It's gone, yeah. And it's not that way. It's so much longer and it's so much deeper. And as the book shows, it's so it was so much more widespread than people care to think. People want to think of it as a binary of North mm -hmm. Free South Slaves. And that was absolutely not the case. Um, Every so, one of the 13 colonies had legal slavery. Every one of them. And so what I think what, what books like this do and what research like what Claire conducted helps to do is to show how, it, how much more complex the web of America, the tapestry of American history is. Now, you know, something that's so yeah. interesting is that in her story, we have all these different big name founding father type characters who come in like Benjamin Franklin mm, yeah. and John Jay and Alexander Hamilton and um, you know just all, all these different characters that you we know you know who, who are part of the American mythos who actually do intersect with her story um, and here we have a woman who doesn't look like a lot of those characters who mm. we do hold in the American you know sort of pantheon of of founders who was very much alive and living a, a, a real story that impacted everything that came after as much as what, what those men did. Mm -hmm. And can't we come to a place in our hearts where we can lift her up, we can put her in that pantheon and make her a representative for the all of the people whose lives are invisible in mm -hmm. our founding story. You don't choose between a story of black history or a story of 1776. You put them together into one story where they belong. Absolutely. All of these enslaved people lived through that. And in New York, they were about 16% of the population. Wow. So we're not talking about a small number of people here. Well, so and now also right now we're dealing with a thing where it's, oh, well, slavery, I mean, that happened and it's over now. Mm -hmm, and no. it's what you're saying too, just that, that point that slavery has been here longer you know, than not in, in the new America, let's put it this way, but, you know, because we think about Native Americans first here. And um, so it's there, kind of this, like you say, there's these thoughts of blips and understanding the amount of repression and how long it takes to get out of repression is a conversation this country needs to have and not just talk about it, fix it. And you don't know how to fix it unless you understand the length. I mean, these are generations after generations and generations, like not knowing who her parents are, you know, those are stories. We know people who, who just, I don't know which country I come from, like which African country was it, you know, and mm -hmm. trying to, to do DNA and trying to find that is really. We, we don't know if she you know? ever had a last name or if she did what that last name was. Mm. People have said to me, do you think you can trace uh, her son, Harry, well, even in Oyster Bay, there were multiple enslaved mm -hmm. men his age named Harry. If Harry took a last name, I don't know what it was. You know, I think I read a long, long time ago that every civilization in human history had slaves at one point or another from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So slavery has been around a lot longer and the American scene, scene in slavery is relatively new compared. It is an ancient, old, uh, cultural 
custom, six, I guess, a tradition. Practice. Yeah, it, it really. Well, I mean, um, I want to make a distinction bad. here with chattel slavery. Okay. Mm. So I really want everybody that's listening to understand the terrible consequence mm. of this idea that mm -hmm. your baby is enslaved from birth. Yeah. This is not being an indentured servant. This is not no. having slavery that begins and ends in your lifetime. This is slavery that your children inherit by law. And that is what we did mm -hmm. in America that was so terrible. Mm -hmm. that, that's, all of it is terrible, but absolutely. absolutely. And, and going, I just, the span of years is insane. It that is. It kept going on and on and on. And even when you think about the Civil War and the emancipation wasn't even truly 100% about slavery you know so you get those balances you know it's like okay you know and and listen and for being a woman mm -hmm. you know a black woman at that time i mean women you know white women weren't allowed to be part of the constitution and writing the constitution we didn't get exactly. to be part of that so if you were a black woman no you ain't getting mm -hmm. diddly and let's know? talk about this for a second from the point of of view of motherhood because we've talked a lot about mm -hmm. motherhood let's say that your list and you're now aged 23, and you're going to get an opportunity to have your personal freedom. You're gonna be offered your manumission. Well, let's say that your child is five. They're not gonna be eligible to be free like you are until they reach the age of 21. Wow. Just because you become free doesn't mean your child is free. Man, that gives you a whole other thing for a 21st crazy man and freedom. Yeah. And even yeah. then it's like, okay, mm. you know, and then from slavery goes into sharecropping and all the other, you know, and all the things mm. that, that fought, you know, in wars. I mean, freed people fought in wars, you know. Enslaved um, people fought in the American yeah, Revolution. Exactly. I mean, there's like, dude. Absolutely. George <laughs> Washington dude. offered enslavers if they would send their slave to fight in the American army mm -hmm. for three years without problems, at the end of the war, the slave would be offered their freedom and the owner would be offered 500 acres of land. So wow. let's think about that. They would wow. send so, thousands of That's a lot of land. There's a lot of slaves. If you didn't make it though, if you were the enslaved person fighting against your will for yeah. the country that enslaved you and you died. That makes no sense, right? It, no. Well, and something speaking going to the idea of women's history that we were talking about one of the the details that's so interesting in the story is in one of the letters um they actually mentioned that lissa's sister was offered her freedom and declined it and now we can't know why mm -hmm. she declined it but this is while um Liss is is absent from oyster bay when she's been sold down to charleston and one of the things that's it's mm -hmm. hard not to to wonder if she declined it because Oyster Bay was the life she knew. And what if her sister came back and she was gone and not mm, knowing their parents, but... this is the only family she would have yeah. had, you know? Mm. And so if she took her freedom and went somewhere else, suddenly that, that even that, that one tie that she that had to thing. history, you know, we, we talk about that idea of, of people not even being able to know, like you said, what country in Africa they come from, or, you know, to have that mm -hmm. idea of lineage that goes back mm -hmm. and, and, how how hard that is for people who you know family ties like that's a natural human instinct to want to have um so it was just it was very powerful to read that line in the letter because your first thought is why in the world would somebody decline their freedom if it had been offered to them but then when you look at what was actually what that would have meant and what it involved um you know you start to see deeper motivations there and we Maybe. also don't know her sister's circumstance she may not have had a trade. She may not have had a skill that enabled her to make money. And of exactly. course, she had no money of her own or any property or any possessions of any kind. And that's exactly the thing that I was talking about, mm -hmm. why we have so many of these years where people think, oh, well, slavery's over, da, da, da. No, that's why sharecropping existed. You know, it's because, mm -hmm. and, and there are white that people that the sharecrop too. That's that's in between That in between, but it's not like a for real healthy mm -hmm program no. to move some a family or people forward and help them it, it wasn't so i think that's when you think about you what know, over 200 years of this you know saying no to mm -hmm. freedom if you don't have any you're like okay so i'm going to walk outside and now what you know i don't know well, i'm not you're not i don't i wasn't taught to read or write i think there's one school they were taught somewhere if, back east i'm not sure what but. happens if you're a mother and you've been given your freedom but your children 
are still enslaved. Are you leaving? There's an interesting history that I uncovered of a, of a couple who were enslaved by this household named Jane and Gabriel. Jane and Gabriel were given to the oldest son as his wedding present by Robert's parents. And they went on to have seven children. Gabriel became free first in the 1790s and actually worked for his former enslaver in New York City at an anchor shop, a shop where he helped wow. make iron anchors. Part of his salary was a room in the cellar of the anchor shop and he was permitted to bring his wife, Jane, and children from Oyster Bay to live in the cellar. However, none of them were free. Jane would not be freed until 1812, and none wow. of the children were anywhere close to being old enough to be given their legal freedom. So the father wow. was free, and everyone else in the family was still enslaved. Oh, that's a mess. Yeah. That's wow. terrible. That's terrible. I want to ask who the painting oh. of Liss yeah, tell us about the painting. It's on the front cover of the book. It's beautiful. So this painting, I commissioned an artist named Lindsay Levine painted it for me. And it's, of course, not an old painting. A no enslaved person would have had a painting like right. this, a portrait of themselves. Enslaved people sometimes appear in the background of other paintings of people um, really? serving them. <laughs> like George Washington has his, mm -hmm. you know, his, his enslaved man sometimes in the painting. But I wanted to give people a visual. Uh, I wanted to, to spark people's imagination and their empathy. And, and I wanted them to have a focal point. And so I also needed to have a face to mm -hmm. look at. And so mm -hmm. I commissioned this so that we would have a visual. Because if we wait and only care about people that we have paintings of, we're not yeah. going to care about this whole segment of society, right. you know? Right. No, I think it helps have the visual. So the identification, you know, yeah. so you can feel that. Yeah. And part of what's so neat about it, I think, is that Claire, when she commissioned this painting, actually uh, looked at several um, prominent women of color and said, you know, can you draw inspiration from these women who kind of capture mm -hmm. the spirit of who we think? think Liss was based on what we know about historical facts. So I love that there's sort of, um, there's sort of that, that thread connecting um, who she was and strong women of today. Um, and there will be an actress. There will be the first actress who gets a part and yeah. then people will associate that with her. And, mm -hmm. and then and then there'll be another one, you know, that's, there'll be a graphic novel somewhere. Yeah, though. right, mm -hmm. right. And it's interesting, Vanessa Williams wrote a wonderful forward to the book. And so she's mm -hmm. connected with her family history in Oyster Bay, right? That's right. Yes. Her family, her ancestors are from Oyster Bay and they can find their roots going all the way back to the era of legal slavery. Wow. And so wow. we're so grateful that she got connected to us and that she wrote our forward and that she's still uh, trying to connect us to a larger telling of this story in the future. Awesome. I really like That's it. awesome. That really helps. Mm -hmm. So in all of the research, let's go back to woman and strength of being a woman, um, especially if you're black and you're enslaved and they're shipping you. And listen, going on a ship at that point, being shipped around is not fun. This is no. not a luxury liner, okay? No. That's no. not cool. And uh-uh. I'm no. sure she was down in the hold with the crane. Oh, sure. oh man, talk about getting seasick, <laughs> right? So- no going and reading and writing her story piecing everything together like you I mean it's amazing what you guys are you ladies I should say have done I just always want to call everybody dude <laughs> but um, piecing everything together what changed for you as a woman what inspired you to make any kind of like oh I you know because we all get bad days right but when you read stories like Liz or you know other women in uh -huh. history when their bad days were like real bad. bad days it kind of like listen we can't I've got a bad hair I always have a bad hair day and I'm like all right who cares about that there's so much more to you know importance in the world so for you know you, it's, it's you, all about um telling marginalized people's stories mm -hmm. we already have uh, a whole history history books filled with the stories of great men okay I'm not trying to take away from those great men but um the history of humanity should be 50-50. There's mm -hmm. women and there's men and there's young mm -hmm. people, old people, mm -hmm. people of different races and backgrounds be, and religious yeah. beliefs. And so yeah. when we can lift up a story of a person like Liz, whose whole era is invisible 
has no representative of a woman of color that has a full story. You know, right. there are women of color in the revolution that you might know one or two things about based on one or two documents, but this story gives you a full arc before the war, during the war, after the war. And so it's it's great gift that we give to try to let people have a new viewpoint to see mm. the founding of our country through her eyes. Mm. Well, even, even to remind people that slavery was not just in the South mm -hmm. and just during Civil War, mm -hmm. just on plantations, mm -hmm. Absolutely. you know? It, yeah, that's a big point that you really don't think about. And I don't think it's, you know, really presented in school even. Mm -hmm. Working with schools is a big priority of mine. I'm working with the Oyster Bay School District right now and other schools, but I want it to be national level. I want mm, every yes. school to reach mm -hmm. out and, and contact me. How can they hear this story in the classroom with primary documents? We right. are not going to solve the problems of racism in America if we can't all of us learn the truth. And that exactly. starts with school. Yeah. It starts with kids. Absolutely, yeah. For me, something that I took from the story um, that, that just really opened my eyes and, and made me think differently was the fact that you know, so often you hear stories or, or, or complaints about stories about people of color where there's the white savior figure you know, who comes in and the white person makes everything right. Um, and one of the things about Lissa's story that to me is so moving is how she advocated for herself. Mm. And that, you know, she did have to work within the legal systems and, and the, the power and privilege systems that were in place at the time, but that she ran away and she approached Robert and she expressed her, uh, her preference, you know, for staying in New York rather than uh, than going to Canada with her British master. And it's so interesting on this book to see how Liss advocated for herself. Mm. And she was bold in a way that we may not often, you know, imagine somebody of that time where, again, all the laws are against you. Um, exactly. Uh, yeah, she, she was yeah. her, she saved herself in a way that is so moving. Um, because it, the, the amount of courage that that had to take is just mind blowing, you know, I knowing so what odds by Robert's story too, because he's often thought of as the hero. He's the hero spy. And he did step up and try to help her over and over again. Mm -hmm. But he also saw in his own attempts, failure. He mm -hmm. saw his own failure, his own inability mm -hmm. to change the law. And, um, in the end, ended up maintaining the lives of 12 slaves that belonged to his father's estate when he was put in charge of them and his choices and whether or not to keep large tracts of agricultural cropland because the only way to run that cropland was to have the work of enslaved people. And so we see at one point he sells it all off. You know, he mm. doesn't become a politician like his father and his brother. He doesn't do the expected social norms. He's very much a rebel in that way. But mm. at the end of his life, I think a rebel who questioned his choices and faced a lot of depression. Mm. So uh, nobody mm. in our story is a clear cut savior, well, villain, human. hero. They're human. They're human. <laughs> yeah. And by the yeah. way, I wanted to say thank you for saying marginalized people because mm. so often, even on the news, you're hearing, well, the minorities. I'm like, how can you call anybody a, a minority? You know, well, unless you call, if you're calling somebody else a minority, then you are the minority. <laughs> no, they don't I mean? mean it that way. I know, but you know what I mean? It's, it's been, I'm so, I just mm. hear this rhetoric all the time. And it's, it's, I, we're talking about people. Yeah. Words mean things. And yes. And the way we use them impact mm -hmm. the way we think about things. And so when you say marginalized people, you're drawing attention to the fact that exactly. these were people who historically had laws and cultural mm -hmm. norms and practices that were stacked against them. They were pushed right. aside. Um, and it, it highlights um, the, the historical violence um, mm -hmm. that was done you know, to, to, to groups of people. 
you know, racism is not, you're not born a racist. Nobody is born a racist. That is a learned behavior passed down from your parents, your great grandparents, their parents, their great grandparents. This is a learned behavior that started somewhere and has been taught and retaught and retaught in almost, in fact, in every culture. But everybody so has the opportunity the human thing. To, to learn to more. It. And to yes. change it. And, and to change it. More, you know, um, this is, it's something that should have been changed, you know, years and years and years ago. But there's that profitability mm. factor. That's I mean, why that's I love you doing schools. Yeah, mm. you know, I mean, it, it's, it's really crazy what people have done to each other. It's crazy. Kids but, will learn what you teach them, though. And, and uh, when adults come to me and they say, I didn't know, I always say to them, it's not your fault. You weren't taught this. Yeah. So when, you, when you don't teach people things, that's why they don't know them. It's amazing right. the number of, of book talks that we've done where people have said, I've lived on Long Island my entire life. Mm -hmm. And this is the first I've ever heard that there were slaves here. Right. Oh, wow. I took Lisa to Africa and I put her in school and she was the only white kid. Yeah. Oh, it was a reverse. So <laughs> she, she got the, <laughs> I was the only white kid, but I learned, you know, and we were multicultural and I, yeah, I was the token white and it was mm -hmm. interesting. I, it was a very interesting experience. And, right. but this is important about our youth because I think sometimes the parents are also learning through the youth and mm -hmm. through books mm -hmm. like yours, are you doing book clubs or anything like that? Oh, yeah. um, and mm -hmm. people can contact you through your website for- Absolutely. We love to be in touch with any kind mm -hmm. of club that wants us to come and speak with them on a Zoom like this one. Just go oh. to espionageenslavement.com. There's a contact button and just get in touch with us. We would love to hear from you. That would awesome. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, universities too, um, you know, history clubs and yeah, man, it's, I think- that's a good thing about the internet, man. You can go around the yeah. world and yeah, you can. because this is a global issue too. Totally. So I think your book is also telling a global story and mm -hmm. uh, that's, you know, the more we can all learn, the better. So thank you both for all the, how long did it take you to do this? 16 years. Wow. <laughs> Were you writing it together or did you come in towards the end? We've been together five years, Tiff. Yes. Wow. We'll always know how long we're together because she just had her daughter. Oh, <laughs> My daughter was four months old when Claire called me about the book. So she's wow. in first grade now. So we can. Oh, okay. So that's wow. how you know. Wow. wow. And you've got a pandemic under your sleeve too, you know? Yeah. It's like, what the heck? It's, well, yeah, it's just you know, good writing time, but, uh, but really uh, how wonderful in 16 mm. years of research, it's got to feel good to birth this baby. Well, you yeah. know, it'll, the story will never end because there's always going to be another document out there. And so I want mm -hmm. your readers to reach mm -hmm. out if they think they have a um, primary document that's related to this story. I know they're oh, out wow. there because I've already found mm -hmm. a few things since the book's been written. And you're like, darn, oh, wow. darn maybe part two or an extra story. You know? Uh, you know, on a reprint, I might just have to sneak in a couple more sentences. Ah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, awesome what you've done. Again, everyone... Uh, go to the website. That is the best thing, you know, espionageandenslavement.com. You can get signed books through there. Of course, you can go on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all those places. Again, the book is Espionage and Enslavement, Enslavement in the Revolution. And uh, get it now. Again, it's by Claire Bellerzeau and Tiffany Yecky Brooks. And uh, keep up with mm -hmm. us at bigblendradio.com. If you sign up for our newsletter when you go there, uh, then you will also get an email with our new Way Back When History Magazine coming out with lots of women's history, lots of women's history. And you ladies, your interview will be featured in there too. So I think it's something mm -hmm. strong. It's not just for March. Um, I feel that way also about Black history, that mm -hmm. it should just be full on all the time. But I know we have to raise awareness. So I'm not saying anything against that. I'm just saying um women's women's history uh should always be out there too so thank you both so much thank you thank you so much for Thanks. having us bye thank you bye.